Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Konenitsya, The Well, a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians and their interesting activities around the world. Today is Thursday, January 24th, 2019. Our guest for today is George Gamota, who has had a very highly successful career in business and government in the U.S. and is currently a consultant for the federal government, as well as the Department of Defense, the National Science Foundation, and is very active in doing work in Ukraine. Welcome, George. How are you? Great. Thank you. Good talking to you, Mike. Yeah, thanks so much for agreeing to come on Krenitsia today. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, we had corresponded a number of years ago regarding genealogy when I first started going out giving talks on it, and you had reached out for me. And we chatted a little bit about email, and then that was it. I think that was back in maybe 2013, 2014. More recently, I had picked up a copy of a book called Hammer and Silicon, the Soviet Diaspora in the U.S. Innovation Economy. And the book basically had done a, over 150 interviews of various people who had emigrated from the former Soviet Union to the U.S. and become involved in the tech economy. And of course, you were in there. And so I started reading the piece about you and was really fascinated both uh, about your backstory of coming from Ukraine, and then your profession and career. So, George, could you lead off and tell us a little bit about where you were born in Ukraine and, and how you came to be in the U.S.? Well, it's a, it's a long story, but uh, the short version of it is I was born in Lviv in 1939 on May 6th. Uh, which is important to note because uh, I didn't live very long in Lviv since the Soviets uh, invaded Lviv uh, in, at August. So uh, my parents and I and my brother fled to Krakow, uh, Poland, thinking, you know, this is going to blow over and we'll be back in uh, Lviv. Uh, of course, uh, things ha happened. The Germans uh, moved uh, east and pushed us back into Ukraine, uh, where we stayed for about two years while uh, things around uh, were, you know, heating up, as you will. Uh, but by 1945, uh, my parents uh, decided that this was time, I'm sorry, 1944, um, decided it was time that we really have to leave because uh, things were just getting uh, too hot and it looked like the Soviets were going to invade uh, Western Ukraine and um, you know maybe even more. Uh, there was some difficulty of us leaving because my brother was handicapped uh, and we were very concerned about the Nazis uh, essentially taking him uh, and putting him into camps, you know, and basically killing him. So uh, my father was a force engineer uh, with a wagon, I mean, literally a wagon and two horses, uh, started moving uh, west through the Carpathians and ended up in Vienna where he had some friends. But 
that didn't last long because, they, you know, the uh, Russians uh, decided that they really wanted to have Austria under their aegis, and so we moved again west until we reached uh, Germany and DP camps and um, ended up in Minnesota. Why Minnesota? My father was a forest engineer, and he thought that there were a lot of forests there, and maybe he could have a career in the forestry. That didn't work out that well, but at the end, I, I grew up in Minnesota. I went to uh, schools there, University of Minnesota, physics degree, and then I went to the University of Michigan where I got my PhD in physics. After that, I uh, joined Bell Laboratories for really eight exciting years as a scientist. But I started getting interested in science policy and was recruited to go to Washington, where I joined the Department of Defense and became the founding director for research. This was right after the Vietnam War, where there was a... Uh, divide between the academic world and defense department and so i tried to uh, create an atmosphere where uh, i could bring those two communities together and i did that by creating an office and uh, we started funding uh, research again after a lapse of a number of years after that change administration changed my sons had three sons needed to go to college, so I was recruited at the University of Michigan, where I spent six years as a professor of physics and a director of an institute, and after that, I decided to uh, join uh, Thermoelectron Corporation, where I became one of the presidents of Thermoelectron Technologies. But things changed in the world, and in, uh, when Ukraine became independent, something that I really never thought possible, I decided to see how I could be of some help. To meetings at the embassy, there was a uh, number of people who came through, and I befriended uh, some of them. And uh, working with American Physical Society, uh, I helped create an uh, emergency fund uh, for Ukraine. There's one for Russia, but I matched the one for Ukraine. And so it gave me an opportunity in 1992 for the first time after, what, 40 to be, uh, go on the soil of Ukraine. It was an exciting time, uh, and I was able to bring in a number of funds, money for young scientists. But I soon realized that science was good in some sense in Ukraine, but what they lacked is entrepreneurship and using the science to create jobs and businesses. And so I convinced the USAID to start a uh, program, which I managed. It was called a BID program, Business Incubator. I created three incubators in Ukraine, managed them, and I have to be, say that three of them still exist today. After many years, uh, one was in Kharkiv, one was in Kiev, and one was Slavutich. Let me stop you there. It's a fascinating story. Uh, I'd like to circle back for a moment to the early years when your family came to the U.S. 
how difficult sure. how difficult was that to make that transition from basically having to flee for your lives back from Ukraine and coming to the U.S. and trying to establish yourself? What was that like? You know, uh, I don't know whether it's due to my parents, but for me personally, it was fairly easy. I sort of, uh, I went a couple years to German school and I uh, came to the U.S. not knowing any English. I was thrusted into fourth grade. But by the end of the year of fourth grade, I basically uh, was able to go to the fifth grade. You know, I wasn't kept back. My English improved to the point where I was doing okay. And I keep forgetting, forgot my German. So for every word, uh, English word I learned, I forgot the German one. So at the end, it sort of said, hey, what happened to my German? But uh, high school was very pleasant. I did the usual thing as a teenager and the uh, university thrived. So I was able to join the social fabric uh, both in high school and more importantly in the university. I was a postoon, so I had two, these two faces. One was a Ukrainian and one was American and I had no trouble moving from one to the other, which was surprising because I, I think about it even today when I go to Ukraine, I sort of put on my Ukrainian hat and speak Ukrainian, uh, not English, and then across the border, you know, I go back to English. As you went into the business world for your career in science, did you meet a lot of other Ukrainian emigres at the time? Uh, actually, not many. I mean, there were a few in Minnesota, two of my friends who worked a scientist, Vitaly Garber was one, and Minkovic was another one, but not many scientists. Most of my science friends were American, and uh, that was true actually throughout my career. There weren't that many uh, Ukrainian scientists in in America, and if they were, I you know I really never. I got to know them. Later on in life, you know, I, I found a few here and there, but it, it, there, there, not too many Ukrainians went into the science field, I think. Interesting. So you were a bit of a pioneer for Ukrainians. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, certainly when I went back to Ukraine, uh, I was only one of very few who ever did something like what I did. And um, most of the uh, people, other Ukrainians who went back uh, to Ukraine in the 90s, were mostly either uh, business-oriented, you know, some were lawyers and, and things like that. But I did not come across uh, too many, I mean, actually, I can think of one or two scientists who were there. None of them, you know, essentially did what I did because for about six years, I, I, I was half-time in Ukraine and half-time in the U.S. So, you know, I, I spent two weeks in Ukraine, then I came home two weeks here, back and forth like that. That's a pretty heavy travel schedule. What are your activities like with Ukraine these days? Well, uh, you know, I kind of, when my program on the incubators kind of ended, I did a, a couple of other programs one of which was really very satisfying 
because I, I helped uh, the uh, deaf community in Ukraine. And that's a story to itself, but, you know, uh, helping children, I mean, teenagers, being able finally to communicate with the outside world through the use of computers was something that was just amazing for me to watch. Uh, these uh, teenagers who never could, you know, essentially access the outside world, suddenly through the computer, they were able to, to be normal. You know, you know, you don't need to speak or to hear to use the computer. And this was, you know, year 2000, 2002, something like that. But, uh, you know, when I sort of started to semi-retire, because the other part of my life, I spent working as a consultant for the government, where I organized science visits to uh, Japan and other foreign countries. Uh, and so I spent a, you know, a good part of my time in Japan, in New Zealand, and Europe, working with scientists trying to put together an, a knowledge base uh, for science and technology, foreign science and technology. So I started a couple of programs that were along that line. But going back to Ukraine, I, I, after 9-11, quite frankly, I decided that I really didn't want to travel that much. I mean, it was a uh, bad situation here, but believe it or not, I mean, contextually, uh, as you know, uh, 9 o'clock and 9-11, 2001, uh, the planes hit New York, right? I was getting on the train in cave at 4 p.m., okay, to go to Crimea for a meeting. So for the next, you know, what was it, 4 p.m., and then I didn't arrive until the following morning, I knew nothing. And when I arrived in Crimea, Simferopol, my friends who were there already started to kind of give me, you know, like, I'm sorry to hear what happened. And, and, I, and I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, well, didn't you hear planes hit New York building and, and, the, and the rest of it? So I tried to contact my wife. I couldn't get through. couldn't get through to my son. One of my sons was in New York at that time. And, and it was just, you know, chaos. And it, it stretched me out to the point. I said, hey, okay, I'm not going to be... Uh, world traveler anymore. I'm trying to settle down, which I did. That kind of changed uh, my uh, work overseas. And three years ago, a law in the Ukraine passed on, on uh, science, governance of science technology. And they, were, they adopted a European model which has uh, to start off to get, you know, nine white beards, as they say, but, you know, uh, international experts will help advise the government on how to uh, manage science with technology. And uh, I was selected to be one of those nine. There was another one, Ukrainian-American, more recent emigre, uh, who's over in Ohio, the rest are, you know, American, uh, one is German, Dutch, and, and three are Ukrainians.
George, who is that other Ukrainian American in in Ohio? Oleg Leverantovich. He is at Kent State University, professor of physics. Nine of us then were elected, and we go to Ukraine, discuss you know uh, what needs to be done, and our main job is to select uh, the so-called science committee which is 24 people then will manage, manage, develop and manage science and technology. And so we did that two years ago. Last year I visited, because I'm also a foreign member of the National Academy of Sciences, so I, you know, I do review of institutes and things like that. And this coming April, we're going to meet again to elect 12 new people for this committee. George, let me stop you there. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time. No problem. But I do want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today to talk about uh, your back history and your career and and your activities with Ukraine. Well, I, I hope that they're finally successful in uh, joining the uh, east, dropping east and looking toward west and joining the European community. Yes, I completely agree. This is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Krenitsia, The Well, a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians and their activities around the world. Until next time, that's all for now.